Right, so uh, we're going to turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5. And um, I want to talk about the liberty we have received in Christ. Um, now, just as, just as a foundation and for people that are here for the very first time, people that watch via the internet for the first time, I want to welcome you. Uh, I want to thank those that send the link to people. And we just see a growth of visits to the website every week. It's wonderful to see. It's wonderful to see how the website's just growing and uh, just even the ranking of the site's just growing all the time. It's good. Thank you for all those that are internet evangelists and share this. Uh, it's wonderful to think that one can have a small congregation yet reach thousands of people on a weekly basis. Um, so those of you that watch for the very first time, I just want to give you an introduction to basically what I, what I believe and, and how I see the scripture concerning sin and what Christ has done for us. And for those of you that are here for the first time, <clears throat> what I believe Jesus Christ came to do is He came to take away sin. And uh, He took sin away, uh, not just the sin of the church, but the sin of all people. And that's the good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ took away the sin of all people. Not just the church, but all. And the better news is, that He didn't just take away your guilt, but He took away that which empowers sin and destruction in your life. And we, mankind never knew that, um, but it was revealed to the Apostle Paul that it was the law that, was, that, that the flesh used to manifest sins. So Jesus Christ had to come and take away the law system, the system where we define ourselves and where we find quality of life by our own willpower. He came to take that away so that we don't live by observing an external commandment and obeying the law, an outside law, by human willpower and in such a way get eternal life. God does not want us to have eternal life that way. The way He wants us to have eternal life is by having it as a free gift. So what He did was, He came and because He possesses the only eternal life that is known to man and that there is, He came and said, I will uh, freely give it to mankind. And that was His plan in the beginning. When He made Adam, Adam didn't obey any law to get this, the breath of life. Uh, he was dust before he could do anything good or bad. God gave him his spirit. He gave him the breath of life. And uh, then Adam went and Adam said, well, um, you know, when he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he said that I will live not by the spirit that I receive for free. I will not have eternal life because it's given for free. I'm going to have eternal life or God's quality of life by knowing what's right and wrong. That's what I'm going to do. You know, so we're going to have quality of life, this is what Adam and Eve said, by observing external laws, looking at the laws of the universe, looking at the laws of this planet, looking at the laws, you know, physical laws and things, and see how we as humans can appropriate those laws to have a life that looks like God's quality of life. Amen. And uh, so th that's what happened. And then when God, when God looked at what Adam did, he said, I'm saying no to that system. I'm not allowing that system. I'm not going to have that system ever as a relationship and as a basis between me and, and God. So let me end that system. And he incarnated himself into a human being. And that man was a man under the law 
which, um, you know, which represented man under the law. He was called the last Adam. And when he died, guilty mankind, mankind died before God. Because he was the representative of all of man. He was the last Adam. As much as what the first Adam was a representative of all of mankind, in the very same way, Jesus was the last Adam, the representative of all of guilty mankind before God. And when He died, you, all your sins died. <laughs> now that is very good news. Now, what, what Jesus also did was when he, um, he was what was called the fulfillment of the law. What that meant is that all of the law wrote about Jesus. It was written towards Christ. When it wrote about a lamb that needed to be sacrificed, even the Ten Commandments, those of you that has been here when I preach on the Ten Commandments and what it really is, it all points to Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. And when Jesus came, and when God became human being in the form of Jesus Christ, it was the fulfillment of every prophecy and every law. And when He died, the law system as something we need to observe to try and have life by, died with Him. That's why the Bible says, the law and the commandments, which was contrary to us, was nailed to the cross. Okay, so that's where the law system ended. And from that day on, like Paul said uh, um, in Romans, he says, uh, in, in Corinthians, he says, I judge no man according to the flesh. So we judge no man according to the flesh. Uh, we judge no man as a Jew, no man as a Gentile. That system has passed away. doesn't matter what preacher tells you that system is alive. You know, it's like this, uh, I, I saw this... Um, this clip on uh, YouTube. Man, I wanted, I meant to show it today. Maybe I'll show it next Sunday if I remember. Don't want to make promises. You know, I don't always remember that well. <laughs> they say carbohydrates. If you eat too much carbohydrates, it makes you forget. No, I cycle, you know, so <laughs> I eat a lot of carbs. But anyway, so, <laughs> so, um, so, so what, what it is, is this guy is on a sh uh, this, this big ship, you know, and he says, uh, and he sees this another ship approaching on the ocean. And he says, uh, this is such and such a ship, and I'm, come say, Captain Van Tonder, you know, and I'm telling you, we've got the biggest ship in the South African army, and we tell you to go 10 degrees to the north. And the guy answers and says, um, you know, so-and-so, and I tell you, go 10 degrees to the, to the north. You do it. I'm not. He says, listen, I will use every force on this ship to secure the safety of the ship, and this is a battleship, to get you out of the way, but you will turn 10 degrees to the north. He says, well, sir, I don't have a ship. I man a lighthouse, so you can decide what you want to do. <clears throat> you know? And I, I see the very same thing, you know, when it comes to Jew and Gentile. Jesus Christ, God Almighty said, there's no more Jew and Gentile. So I don't care what, what preacher says with what golden ring and what suit, you know, or how big his church is or how many people he reaches. It doesn't matter, you know. Uh, the rock, Jesus, said, there's no more Jew or Gentile. Yeah. Amen. So you, it's your call. You decide what you want to do, you know, about you're going to change your mind anyway sometime, you know, because that's what he said. 
And this, we judge no man according to the flesh. We judge no, what that means is, I don't judge any man according to Jew or Gentile or what he does by his works in the flesh. So in other words, when the flesh lives in somebody, in other words, when the flesh takes the law, and this is, this is what, how sin happens, the flesh, human willpower, takes the law, wants to obey the law to have God's quality of life. The moment you try to do that, you find your inability manifest, and that is called sins. Now, we judge no man according to the flesh. What that means is, I'm not going to judge you by what you do. The only way in which you can judge somebody, the Bible says, is with a righteous judgment. The righteous judgment would be to judge a person in the light of what Christ has done for that person. And when you come to, uh, the only conclusion you can come to when a person doesn't live a life where he is free from addiction or free from those kind of things, things that destroy your life, doesn't matter what it is, uh, the conclusion you can come to is that this person doesn't believe the right thing. Because God changed what we can believe. In the Old Testament, you could only believe that you are a sinner. You could only believe that the only way I can have life is by observing the law. What you could also believe in the Old Testament is that there need to come somebody in the future that sets me free from the system. That, that's what you could believe. And that's all you could believe. But when Jesus Christ came, true faith came. We could now believe that our sins are forgiven, that the law system has ended, and what we can also come to is the conclusion that all of sin has lost its power over me so that I don't have to resist sin anymore, but I just believe in Him. All I do resist is believing the wrong thing. That's all. It's all about faith. What you believe. You know, the word faith is only mentioned twice in the Old Testament, of which once it prophesies about the New Testament, where it says, you know, the righteous shall live by faith. And then it's mentioned once in the old, one other place. So you can actually safely say it's actually mentioned once in the Old Testament and 219 times in the New Testament. So what does it say to you? It says to you that the New Testament is all about what you believe. What do you believe? For Jesus Christ came to change what mankind can now believe. So we can believe now that our sins are taken away and that not just the church but every human being stands innocent before God because the Lamb of God was slain not just for the sins of the church but for the sins of the world. So we've got good news to, to, to tell people. We can tell people you are innocent before God and that God celebrates your life. Now how nice it is for me to tell Jana and Lorraine today you know, because it's their birthday in the week here, that God celebrates your life. When it's your birthday, I'm sure He's happy. He celebrates the fact that you are there. He doesn't have a sour face when He thinks of you. He's happy when He thinks of you. You bring joy to Him. You know, like any child that we will have, you know, when it's His birthday, you know, we, we're happy. We're happy for our children. Maybe He does things that we don't want Him to do. But... Who He is brings joy to us, and that's how God looks. We don't judge our kids according to the flesh. 
If we good parents, you know, whenever your child does something wrong, you don't say the stupid child. You say, I wonder what's bothering him. Isn't it? Because you're saying it must be an external force that's causing him to do this, for this is not him. And that's the way God looks at us. And the wonderful thing about the good news in Jesus, and this is now where I'm really getting into what I want to say today, is that we can really have God's quality of life in this world. We can really experience that. Um, that was His plan. And unfortunately, when you take the, the message of the cross and you say, you word it this way, Jesus Christ came to forgive you your sin and fulfill the law, yet the law is still a standard to live by, you have completely ruined what Christ has done. Because that will still enslave people. True grace, the true message of the gospel is this, that He ended the law and gave His life as the only reference to who you are. And belief in that truth will make that life manifest in you free from your effort. Hallelujah. We don't have to have a, a life bound by fear and rejection where we judge ourselves by our flesh. You know, the greatest thing that I've seen in my life is not to judge myself by, my, by the flesh when I do something wrong. You know, when I do something right, I easily say, you know, this is Christ living in me. But when I do something wrong, then I want to say, I have done wrong. It is me. It is the bad me. No, it is not like that. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says, Paul said, when I do something good, it is Christ that lives in me. And when I do something bad, it wasn't I who did it, but sin that lives in me that did it. And this sin found its opportunity by some legalistic way of belief. So Christ came to end all the legalistic belief so that sin will find no way in your life so that you will not have a life bound by sins. And the only way Christ can have His life in your life is by you observing and seeing a truth. His life is my life. Now, let's read Galatians 5 from verse 1. It says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if you be circumcised, you sh um, Christ shall profit you nothing. Now, let me read it from the message. It says, Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. I am emphatic about this. The moment any one of you submits to circumcision or any rule-keeping system, at that same moment, Christ's hard-won gift of freedom is squandered. I repeat my warning. The person who accepts the way of circumcision or rule-keeping trades all the advantages of the free life in Christ for the obligations of the slave life of the law. That's Bible. I'm reading Bible. <laughs> so when he comes and he talks about a life of freedom here, what freedom does he talk about? And uh, I want to read that 
um, in the word, the word free there, um, that's now in Galatians, just from the Greek, so that you can see what it means. The word liberty, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. That freedom means, um, it comes from a root word, which means the following, not to be a slave, to be exempt from obligation or liability, to be at liberty. So he says, I want you to know that you have received a freedom. This freedom is, you are now exempt from obligation and liability. Now, we've always seen we, we, we're not obligated and liable to ob observe Ten Commandments or laws to be righteous before God. Yes, that is true. And thank God, we are free from that. We are, the Jewish system, you know, people are free now. They don't have to be circumcised anymore. The Gentiles doesn't have to follow the Jewish customs anymore at all. Even Paul went about the villages and preached and said, and I just wish so many churches would grab a hold of this and say, I want you not to follow the customs of Moses. And then they wanted to kill Paul. The church in, in, in Jerusalem wanted to kill the Apostle Paul because he preached and said, you should not follow the customs of Moses. And when he came to Jerusalem, James was very upset because he said, we've got a murder on our hands. Because the church is going to murder. The Christian church in Jerusalem was about to murder the Apostle Paul. You can read in Acts 19. It's written there. And this was the main reason. Because he taught and said you should not follow the customs of Moses. Because the Christians of that time in Jerusalem, they were believers and yet very zealous of the law. So now Paul came and he taught the Jews in the in the, uh, in the Gentile towns and said to them, you don't have to follow the customs of Moses. And this was such a great sin to the church that they said that we will kill the Apostle Paul. Then uh, uh, James said to Paul, why don't you go and pay money to have people's hair shaved and follow certain Jewish customs so that people will say they've heard a rumor and it's not true. Then Paul went and he did it. Because he was about to be killed by the church. Because the church was still zealous of the law. And the apostle of grace was not zealous of the law, but he was zealous of the life of Christ. Because he knew that the law system, the issue that Paul had with the law, was not that it was given in the Old Testament or anything like that. The issue that he had was, when a person has got, puts himself in connection with that, his life will be destroyed. He will have all kinds of uh, uh, sins manifest in him and he will never be able to have God's quality of life. So here he comes and he says, I want you to stand in the liberty that Christ has made you free with. In other words, you are set free from obligation and slavery. So we are not obligated anymore to follow any of the customs of Moses. Plus, when we stand in this liberty, we are also free with this freedom. And let me read it again. It says here, we are exempt from obligation or liability. Now, when we understand, and those of you that have been coming here uh, regularly, you will remember that Romans 7 says that when we are under the law, then sin manifests. 
So when you're under the law, you are not exempt, but you are obligated and liable to have the fruit of the law in your life. And the fruit of the law is murder, drunkenness, lying, cheating, sexual immorality, all those kind of things. That is the fruit. And you are not free from that fruit, but like the Bible says in Romans, we are free from righteousness. So when you're under the law, you've been liberated from righteousness. You've been set free from righteousness. You cannot be righteous. But when we believe in Christ, we've been made righteous and we've been set free from the law and the obligation we have once you marry to the law. Yesterday we, um, you know, we, uh, I did some counseling, premarital counseling, and um, you know, people came and saw me, and we spoke, you know, about uh, you know, sex and how it works in marriage and the obligations and all those kind of things, you know, that there is. And what happens is the moment you married, you, you marry a husband, there's a certain obligation. And what will happen is, if you are intimate with him, you're obligated to bear his fruit. You're going to have his children. That's just the way it's going to work. In the very same way, when you are one with the law, you are in union with the law, you're intimate with the law, and you shall bear the fruit of the law. You are not at liberty, you're not exempt of bearing that fruit. You are enslaved, you shall bear that fruit. That is the context, if we're going to, and I'm going to see how far we can get through Galatians chapter 5, but that's really the context of Galatians 5, Galatians 3, and Romans 6. So when Paul comes and he talks about a liberation, you know, he talks about a liberation that sets us free in such a way that we can say, I am not bound. I am not bound anymore to the obligation of the law and I am not obligated anymore to be enslaved to do anything I don't want to do. Isn't that good news? That is very good news. But what I see is, uh, and we, we can, let, let us, um, let, let me first finish this, this one thing here. It talks about the slavery there, okay? It says there, let us walk in the freedom that Christ has made us free. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. In, what is this liberty? That you are exempt now not to stand in bondage anymore under the fruit of, or, or, or this, if you want to call it sins, or the fruit of the flesh. We have been made exempt. Now, I remember years ago I would preach the very same thing. Grace has made us free. But then I will mix in the law, in the very same message, bringing people in bondage again. No, Christ has set us free. And how are we free now? How do we walk in that freedom? How does grace look in everyday life? We... Uh, um, the, the Bible says in Afrikaans, reckon yourself dan vrij van die sonde. Make a, a mathematical calculation and come to the conclusion that you have been set free from sin. Now you can never come to that conclusion by your works because your works will show you sins. Your works will show you inabilities. So you have to have a certain reasoning Reason this way, I have been set free from my union with that which brings forth 
everything in my life that I don't want. I don't want to lose my temper. I don't want to lie. I don't want to be, uh, uh, I don't want to cheat people. I don't want to live by fear. There's so many things in everyone's life that you know I don't want. Forget about the law. Forget about what God wants and God doesn't want. It's what you don't want. You don't want to live like that. There are many things in your life which is there by intuition that is part of your design that you say, I don't want this kind of a life. This is not a quality life. Let me give you a good example. If you're all the time worried about money, that's not a high quality life. It's a, you're stressed out. You know, I think in, in, in Malmesbury, I live, man, not just in Malmesbury, I think in South Africa, I live one of the highest quality lives you can ever live. I do. I don't have as much money as most people, but I live a very high quality life. I've got good time with my family. There are times when we are away, but I'm at home most of the time. If my kids come from school, they know dad's there. He's there. If they need to go to a sport somewhere, dad's there. Now to me, that to me is a high quality of life. Maybe to you there's a different definition of what a high quality of life is. But I, I thank God, you know, I don't have a lot of debt. I, I, I live with peace in my heart. Um, I, I love my wife. My wife loves me. We, we love our kids. I live with no condemnation or guilt in my heart. You know, that it to me is the highest quality of life. Then you can find somebody that buys a car every two months, a new car, literally, and I just see this guy is stressed out. And he's chasing, you know, if this was an American, I would have said the American dream. But he's got no life. So this is not about what is sin and what is not sin. It's all about quality of life. God's quality of life. And I tell you, God's quality of life can only be really expressed in love. That's the only way. Where you feel you love people. Where you, where you feel you can give something to somebody. So to me, when I think of what I want, I don't take the law, the Ten Commandments, and find a standard of living by it. Neither do I take the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and I look at what Jesus preached there to find a certain standard of life. I look at what the Holy Spirit works in my heart, and I know what quality of life I can have. Where I can live in peace. Where I can be happy with the wife I have, happy with the car I drive, happy with the house I live in, happy with my relationship with God. And anything inside me that I don't want, I don't feel guilty about, I don't feel God condemns me about it, because He doesn't. He loves me so much that He provided a way of belief that I can be set free from that which I don't want in my heart. And this is how it works. When we say, and I said it I think three weeks ago here, when we've got something in our life that we feel, I don't want this in my life, and there's a desire that says, I don't want this thing, and I want that thing, that is not God's way of telling you what you must do. It is God's way of asking you if He can do it. And there's a big difference. Okay? It's like... Um, 
I w next Sunday we will have a nice picture of the of the pickup, you know, the bucky that we bought uh, for the people up in um, Lesotho. Um, the thing just came out so nice. So um, you know, when I when, when I think of I want to buy a vehicle for somebody and bless him, and I have a feeling in my heart, it doesn't mean God says I must do it. What it means is, I can, God says, Bertie, that's what I want to do through you. Is it okay with you? Now, there's a big difference. A massive difference. The one will lead you to life and the other one will lead you to death. Because now, you know, the, the emotion or what God puts in your heart, which we always said, the Holy Spirit said unto me, you know, which I do believe that's how He talks. We saw it as a command on what we had to do. Instead of saying, this is what God wants to do. I allow you, God. You're not going to force me into this. I allow this to happen to me. I allow myself not to be ill. You know, when I, you know, last week, so, so I, I, I wanted to go and cycle, and as, just before I got on the bicycle, I felt sick, felt ill. Some say they feel ill whenever they think of a bicycle. <laughs> but I felt ill, you know. And I said, I, I feel, and, and I got upset. Because I feel like this. I just got upset. I said, God, I don't want to feel like this. And then I was reminded of what I preached here. And then I, I felt the Lord, like the Lord laid upon me. Is it okay if I heal you? I said, well, that's fine with me, Lord. And I got on the bicycle and I went cycling. You know, and I felt good. Until now. Still good. Glory to God. It is Because we always thought that God is this... God up there that wants to force down his, li his life on us. No, no. We are, He made us in His image and in His likeness as a being that He has a relationship with. And that relationship, like I've said many times here, can be seen in marital relationship. You know, my wife, although she submits to me, I don't tell her what she must do every day. If I want trouble... And I try and I'm probeering Afrikaans ons track a bit wrong up. That's trouble, you know. You don't do that, you know. Not with Elena though. You see, I've got such a freedom if she's not here. <laughs> Just, it, it doesn't. It's like my one friend said. He says, "Your wife and my wife, they can think for themselves." You know, it's like you can't just tell them. So in the very same way, God with us. He sees us as a wife that he just can't tell what they must do, but as a person that's lured by love, that needs to be persuaded in their heart, and then you are the one with all the resources and all the power, and then as a, as in, in union, you do things together. That's how it works in our relationship with God. So when we have been set free with true liberty, we have been set free from observing an outside commandment unto an inner life. So now the inner life of Christ in me guides me every day. And I say to him, Lord, I feel I want to buy this vehicle. And uh, now I know it was God saying, I want to do that through you. Is it okay with you? Yes, Lord, it is. And then I find the next desire coming to my heart. And the next one. And in such a way, I find God and I together live together, and we do things together. And it works. I want to tell you, it works. Glory to God. 
It gives you absolute peace. There's no pressure to try and perform something. All of a sudden, you and God, you walk in partnership here. You're talking about a relationship where His life is produced in you. And this is the liberty He has liberated us with. Let's read, uh, read a bit more there. He says, Wherewith Christ has made us free, not to be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. That yoke means the following, a beam of balance, a pair of balances, a yoke. Now, what is a yoke? A yoke is to see, do I balance out, you know? Uh, uh, you put the law in the one side, and you put your works in the other side, and you want to see if I can balance the law. That is a yoke. Another word for yoke in the Bible times was doctrine or teaching. So what he was saying is, Christ has come to give us His yoke, His balance. His balance is, God is in the one side of the scale, and God incarnated Himself into a human being, Jesus Christ on the other side of the scale, representing mankind, where the man, God the man, representing you and me, balances out God in heaven as pertaining to righteousness. So that the scripture can be true which says that we have been made His righteousness. The right that God has to eternal life is the right we have now. So that is the yoke or the teaching or the doctrine of Christ. It says, take my teaching upon you for it's easy, its burden is light. But then there is a yoke of bondage. And that is the yoke where the law is in the one side and human willpower is on, in the other side and that binds you. What it binds you to is the manifestation of the flesh. That's what it binds you to. It will destroy your life. Let's go to Romans 6. Um, Romans 6 and verse 1. I wonder if it was verse 6. I can't remember. Now, let's first go to John chapter 8. John 8. John chapter 8. Sorry about that. And verse 32. And let's just see what we talk about here. He said to people that were following, this was Jesus, he was on the earth, he was preaching, and this is what he said to the people that were following him. Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed upon him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We've, we've been Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How do you say you shall make uh, we shall be made free. Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, whosoever commits sin is a servant of sin. 
So the freedom that he talks about, and that's the very same Greek word liberty there, uh, where he says, whom the Son has set free shall be free indeed. What he talks about here is Christ setting us free from the law, where we don't have to feel guilty should we do anything wrong, because if our heart condemns us, the Bible says, Christ is bigger than our heart. Hallelujah. So we don't have to. If I say a swear word, it's not as if God's going to wring my neck for it or be upset about with me for it. But God has given me a life where I can have His quality of life. And the only way that we can have that quality of life is by not observing the law of should I swear or not. It sounds like a contradiction. It sounds as if it's not possible, but that's exactly how it works. The more you are under, the less you have anything to do with thou shalt not and thou shall, the more His life manifests. And the more you take His life and come to the conclusion that this is how it must look, therefore thou must and thou shalt, the less you will have that life. That is the mystery that Paul came to reveal. You know, in Romans 8, Galatians and all those kind of things. That's why Paul, I like the message here, he says, I am emphatic about this. The moment any one of you submit to any rule-keeping system, that same moment Christ's hard-won gift of freedom is squandered. It's squandered. It's lost its power. It's gone. It says here, I, I, I suspect you never intended this, but this is what happened. You attempt to live by your own religious plans and projects. You are cut off from Christ. You fall out of grace. Let me read it again. I suspect you never intended this, but this is what happens. When you attempt to live by your own religious plans and projects, you are cut off from Christ. You fall out of grace. Meanwhile, we expectantly wait for a satisfying relationship with the Spirit. For in Christ, neither our most conscientious religious or disregard of religion amounts to anything. What matters is something far much interior. Faith expressed in love. So what he says here, he says, neither you being against the law or for the law is going to bring life to you. What's going to bring life to you is not your rebellion against a law system, but what's going to bring life to you is your revelation that the resurrected Christ's life is your life. And that will give birth to a life wherein you have been set free, not just from the obligation of obeying the law, but also the obligation to bear the fruit of the law. You must realize the fruit of the law is not holiness. I find that, that, that even many, and I, I don't want to point you point figures to other churches, but I find even in grace circles, it's difficult for people to say these words. The fruit of the law is sin. Sometimes I think in the church, we must start off, you know, in the, in the morning, we say it ten times together, the fruit of the law is sin. Because we don't believe it. We think there's still something holy, something mysterious in there. If we can apply it, you know, we, grace is going to empower us to obey the law. Grace is not going to empower you to obey the law. If grace is going to empower you to obey the law, then God is working for Satan. Yeah. 
not in partnership with the devil. The law system will destroy your life. And here, Paul comes and he says, I'm emphatic about this. Any rule-keeping system, any rule-keeping system, you have squandered the free gift of Christ and you have violated the whole system that will empower you unto holiness. You will have no holiness. You will never get it right to think good about somebody. What about thinking good about yourself? I find we think the most negative about ourselves. We can still think another guy did that thing wrong, maybe he's going through a hard time, maybe you can gossip about him, and then after that think, oh, you know, if he comes right or whatever, you feel a little bit of a compassion. But when it comes to yourself, you're hard on yourself. Very hard on yourself. I'm wrong here, I'm wrong there, I'm wrong here. But this, when we can come to the point, like it says, in, and, and let us go there to Romans 6 verse 6, Listen to this. This is so powerful. How does grace look in everyday life? Grace is the divine influence by which God influences you. Now, now let me explain that divine influence. It is the loving kindness and tender mercies of God that He uses to influence your heart. That is grace. How does grace look in everyday life? It is a message. It is a truth where God comes and pampers you with His love and it influences your belief to the point that you believe I'm righteous, I'm holy, I'm one with Him, I'm not guilty before Him, He loves me, where you believe I have a brand new life, His life is my life, I am radiant, I radiate with holiness, I am clothed in splendor, I am dressed in dazzling white silk because of His words that He speaks over me, once that reality starts to settle in, you find that you are now in union with that truth, and that truth bears its fruit in you. That's the only way unto holiness. There's no other way. Let's read Romans 6 and verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, and that the body of sin, that the body of sin might be destroyed that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead, from, dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dies no more, death has no dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, that, uh, but in that he lives, he lives unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed, unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So why did Jesus die? To take away the body of sin. What is the body of sin? It's the law system. That is the body or the governing body that governs death in our lives. I don't know if I can say it clearer than what I'm saying it today. That's what governs death in our life. You know, Reckon yourself to be really free. How are you going to reckon yourself to be really free? You're not going to reckon yourself to be really free by taking into account what you've done last week or today. That's not how you reckon. Here the reckoning is explained. He says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified. In other words, what was the old man? The man that lived under the law. 
That man, there, was, there are two people. The one man was the man that lived under the law, and the new man is the man that doesn't live by the law, but lives by faith. So the old man was crucified. The one that has to observe laws to be righteous before God or to have quality of life. He was crucified. He's dead. And I was represented in that man and he is now dead. Now he comes and he explains the reasoning. The old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed and henceforth we should not serve sin. That serve there means to be a slave of or to be in bondage of or not to be exempt of. To be enslaved. So God never looked at people as people that are hating Him, that just want to do wrong. He never saw it that way. He saw it as people enslaved to a system. That's how He saw it. And He wanted, He knew that man is inherently not bad. We've always thought it this way, that man is actually bad. No, no, man is good. We are His offspring. My goodness. Does God make bad things? No, no, man is good. But then man, when that baby gets born, and that baby gets five years of age or two years of age, he gets taught a system that is not good for him. And he gets taught a legalistic system by which he's programmed through television and the world and, and how we teach our kids and school and everything. And then most people don't know the grace message and they don't teach their kids that. And we find that in our lives, if I look at my own life for an example, I find a life wherein my life was in bondage to so many things. Low self-worth, hidden behind boldness. All kinds of bondage, you know. And then you hear the truth, the grace message, and you realize that I have been set free. And you come to a reasoning that says the lawman has died. And if Christ died and he died as a lawman, it means he died so that I will not be a slave anymore of something that basically causes me to do what I don't want to do. You don't want to do it, but you do it. That's what Paul said, when you're under the law. So Christ came to take that away. So how does a life under grace look? It's a life of joy, peace, love, kindness, mercy, as a fruit of you being pampered by the unconditional love of God. It's not a life wherein I've got joy, peace, and all those kind of things copied because that's how a Christian's life should look. It's a big difference. So how do we come to the, to the calculation? This is the calculation we make. We know this, that our old man is crucified, that I've got no obligation to this anymore, that I, once a person is dead, he is freed from sin. Knowing that Christ is raised from the dead, he lives unto God. So in other words, I live unto God. I don't live unto the slavery anymore. Let me explain living unto God. The way we see living unto God is now, I must now obey the laws of God. That's not what living unto God means. When we were under the law, we were living unto the law. Being enslaved unto the life of the law. But now when we are living unto Christ, believing this truth, we kind of enslaved, in this one place in Romans where it actually uses that word, where it says we are enslaved unto righteousness. Now what we do, practically every day, if I look at my own life, should I do something that I think, I do, or that I don't want to do, 
then I think, man, I need to get this, I, I, I need to stop this. And that's just there why I made the mistake. That's not what you must reckon, that's not the reckoning. The reckoning, when it happens, should be the following, or even before it happened, or in, if, if you reckon this all the time, I'm sure it's not even going to happen. This is the reckoning. I am dead to sin. Because I am not under the law. And sin has got no hold on me. For I am enslaved to the life of Christ. So when something happens in your life, it, it, you treat it like sickness. You know, when we find sickness in our life, say, you cough. You say, man, cough, you don't belong in this body. This is not for you. Jesus Christ paid the price. You don't feel guilty because you cough. You feel the enemy is attacking you. Isn't it? You've got something you feel, you know, but this is an outside force that wants to live in my body. In the very same thing, anything else in your life. Why do we, I mean, if you get a flu, you don't say, well, it's, well, the bad me, you know, I'm such a bad person, that's why I've got flu. And Some people will do it, but most will not. They will just say, man, this flu. So when you've got anything else in your life, why do you say it's you? It's not you. It's something that wants to live in you based on a wrong belief. So what do we do? We reckon ourselves as dead <laughs> unto it. What is our reckoning? Not to say, I am dead, I am dead, I am dead to sin. No, no, that's, not what, that's the wrong way. The right way is to say, He died for me. And when He died, the system that produced this was dead. And the Holy Spirit will reveal any rule-keeping system in me that will produce this kind of a life in me. We don't go law hunting. We go grace hunting. And the law will be done away with anyway. Glory to God. Let me read a bit more and then we're going to end off. It is absolutely clear that God has called us to a free life. Just, that, just make sure they don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want. Now, I don't fully agree with the translation here. And destroy your own freedom. What he actually says is there, he says, don't use your liberty as a license unto sin. Now, what that means is, don't use your liberty to sin. The best way I can explain that is, it, you know, it is impossible to use liberation from sin to sin. Uh, how is that possible? It's impossible. How can freedom from sin be used as a power to sin? It's impossible. You cannot. And we've always used that thing as, well, remember now that you are under grace, you know. Don't abuse the grace and just go and sin. No, no, you cannot abuse grace and sin. If you sin, you're still under the law. What he's saying there is, don't use your freedom in such a weak way that it cannot even bring forth the power in you to have peace and joy and righteousness. So, don't let the message of freedom, when I say, or when the Bible says, when God says, we have been set free from legalism, used in such a weak way, and the context of Galatians is, that we still go and have ourselves circumcised, because that's the context, and go back to Judaism. Because that will bring forth death again. 
So let us, when Christ has said we are free, then we are really free. We're not allowing anything that's going to bring forth death in our life. I'm not going to allow any car that anybody drives to say I'm rich or poor. I'm not going to let any house that anybody has or any new gadget he bought or any person that what clothes they wear or whatever legalistic system this world provides for us by which we judge ourselves, you know, dictate to me what kind of a being I am because that will kill me. I cannot judge, you know, who I am. Now, listen how stupid this would be, but this is reality. You know, when you are in... When you are into um, photography, then you will find photography politics. When you are into selling houses, you'll find the real estate politics. And when you are in church, you find church politics. Okay, now, I can only talk church politics, because I'm in church. I'm not going to have who I am and my feeling about how blessed I am defined by what kind of a camera I record this message with. Do you, do you see how stupid it is? It's just stupid. <laughs> how can you, you know, or if I go and cycle, you know, well, you know, um, I'll be blessed if I have got a carbon bicycle. Since when does carbon possess the ability to define divinity? It's never possessed it, but we gave it the right. We cannot let that determine to us. It, cannot even, it, it should not even determine your feeling or your emotion, because it's a law. It's a legalistic system by which we judge ourselves. It's part of this world. Thank God that it didn't just come to set us free from the laws in the church, but the laws of the world. That we can really live free lives. Okay, so grab your freedom in such a way that Christ can manifest something in you. And uh, I'm going to read one more. Rather use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. It says it this way, it says, for, everyone, uh, for everything we know about God's Word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. I hope you understand what I'm trying to say here. You know, um, it's great news to hear that we are not condemned when we do something wrong. That's very good news. But it's better news to hear that when you do something wrong, God we don't have to feel guilty or judged by God. Greater is this, that the system that produced it is taken away, so that we are free to love one another. We are free to love one another. Where you would sit and hold on to something and you felt... Man, I see somebody in the church or a family member or somebody in need and I, I would like to give him this, but I can't. You know, why can't you? That thing was in that garage for the last year and a half. You've never used it, but now you can't give it away. What makes you that you can't? And then you find after five years you throw it away. But when you felt you wanted to give it, you couldn't. What made you that you couldn't?
And all the five years, that thing was irritating the life out of you in that garage. Because that thing was condemning you. I should have given it to that person, or I should have done this, or I should have done... That, that's, that is hell on earth, man. That is not quality of life. But we have been set free, and reckon yourself as free to be who and what you really are. You are not enslaved anymore to not do what you want. Because what you want is what God puts in you. Hallelujah. We want good. We, want, we don't want bad. There's, there, there might be an evil desire. When there's something bad you know, in us, uh, the Bible doesn't call, it, call that um, our will. It calls it, it, it's, it's named an evil desire. When there's good in us, it's called will. That which I want to do. When it's bad, it's called evil desire. So, what you really want is what's, what God puts in your heart. He works in you to will. And we have been set free to do what we really want. You know, if I look at, at, um, at my ministry, and I'm in, ending off with this, there can, be a certain, there can be certain pressures, you know, to grow the ministry in a certain way, you know, and have it become bigger and bigger. But I don't feel I want to do it in the way that it's done traditionally in church. I don't want to do it. So guess what? I have been set free not to do it that way. Glory to God. I'm not going to do it that way. I'm, I feel in my heart that I want this to naturally grow in an effortless way, which is not upheld by my effort, even with the worship in the church. You know, when the young people came to me and said to me, Bertie, you know, I can play this, I can do this, I can do this, but we don't have somebody to lead, what can you arrange? I can wait until God, and then we will have effortless. And now it's happening. Now, I could have been by now, you know, so upset with worship people because I've tried to bring forth an Ishmael. That's what the Bible says. When we live by the flesh, meaning being legalistic, we give birth to Ishmael. And just in natural, just in the natural, you know, the Jews are still struggling with the Ishmael until today. In the natural. It's not something that goes away easily. It's born. It's there. So we don't want something to be an Ishmael. We don't want, um, and I find it so many times, practical. You go and buy that carbon bicycle because you try and work up something and then you need to pay the thing and normally that's when the thing breaks. You know, everything is just negative and bad. It's not nice. It's not an enjoyable experience. If you want the carbon, then tell God and rest and you'll have it. So I'm not saying you can't have. I'm just saying the way in which we get is what kills us. You are loved by God. I summarize it this way. Grace <coughs> in everyday life is it looks like this. It's a person that hears God's unconditional love on a daily basis for him, wherein he comes to the conclusion 
that he is not enslaved to the law and its fruit anymore and it manifests in the fruit of the Spirit. Let me read the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians here quickly in the message. Unfortunately, this one doesn't have verses. It's one of those old messages. But it's still a good message. Yeah. Let, let me just read the, the two fruits here. It's obvious what kind of life develops of trying to get your own way by legalism all the time. It goes on to lo lovelessness, cheap sex, stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, magic show religion, loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied once. I mean, that's not a nice, <laughs> nice life. So Paul wasn't saying to people, I don't want you to live this way. He said to people, I don't want you to get into something that will cause you to live this way. But what happens when we live God's way? Now, God's way is to believe what He has said about us and to accept the free gift of righteousness. He brings gifts into our lives. Much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that is basic holiness, a conviction of basic holiness permeates things. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, nothing needing to force our way in life able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Isn't that beautiful? So what he says here, he says, these things come as gifts. It's not a command. God doesn't command you to use your energy wisely. He says, I'll gift you with that if you can believe you're righteous. And count yourself righteous. I gift you with that freedom. So grace in everyday life looks like what I've just read there. Loving people. Loving yourself. A smile on your face. As a result of a gift. When you have a smile on your face but it's forced because you're obeying a law. That's not how grace looks. Grace is a natural born gift from God. It appears as much something like as fruit would appear, the message says. A gift from God. So a holy life is a gift from God. It's not a command. That's how grace looks in everyday life. Love for yourself and others. Amen. Let's pray together. <clears throat> you know, before we pray, you might be here and you just feel in your, in, in your heart that you're not living a life of victory and you would like to live a life of victory, you know, I can pray for you, and the prayer will definitely help you, and that's what I'm going to do. But the magic in this freedom is you going, sitting down before God in your 
in a room and where you talk to Him and you come to the conclusion that you have really been set free. doesn't matter what life has told you that you've really been set free. You are free. It's not you're going to be free or Christ's going to set me free. You are free. It happened 2,000 years ago. You are really free. And we account for ourselves in that way. And that we don't live, we are not enslaved unto a life of doing what we don't want. But now we can live who we are. Count yourselves as free. How do we do it? By the simple conclusion, if one died for all, then all are dead. If the law was taken away in Christ, sin lost its power over me, and I am part of the new man, not the law man, the faith man. And the faith man is enslaved unto righteousness. Thank you, Father, for this truth. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you guide every person today and in this week and the rest of their lives to appropriate this truth, that they can walk in this truth and see themselves as truly free with the freedom of Christ. Thank you that when we struggle and, and, and when we live a life where we feel this is not what I want to do, we don't live it in guilt towards you. We've got a sure help with us. That's not having an accusing finger pointing to our mistakes, accusing us of what we do wrong, but a willing God that knows our minds and our inner thoughts, willing to help us and correct us to believe the truth about us. And the truth about us is always beautiful. It's always lovely. It's always uplifting. It's always righteous. It's whatsoever is good, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is noble. That is what you bring to our minds. And thank you, Father, that the faith that is accounted for righteousness is to believe that God justifies the ungodly. And thank you, Lord, that we don't have to first be godly by our actions before we can be saved. But thank you, Lord, that you save us first. And then, as we discover this salvation, we find the fruit of this salvation, which is a life that is your life manifesting in us. Lord, I don't even want to say we have a life that looks like your life, because that's a lie. We have your life. Thank you, Jesus. If there's anybody with sickness in your body, I would like to pray for you right now. I just feel that people can be healed. If you've got any sickness in your body, it doesn't matter what it is, I'm going to pray for you right now. Father, I want to pray for people right now that's got sickness in their body. I thank you, Lord, that you, and I just feel strongly, strongly to, to pray this. I declare healing over skin disease in the name of Jesus. You are healed. You are healed in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. I declare healing. And I thank you, Lord, like gold dust falls from heaven. I just see your glory, your divinity falling upon that body and healing that body right now. And the anointing of the Holy Spirit brings forth healing in the mighty name of Jesus Christ right there in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. I just declare healing 
over, over that in Jesus' mighty name. Um, also, somebody with a, a knee problem in the left knee, I thank you, Father, that I can just stretch forth my hands and I declare healing over that body in the name of Jesus. That knee is healed. That knee is healed, completely healed, restored by the resurrection power of Christ. As well, cancer is completely healed in Jesus' mighty name. Completely, completely healed. I, I just feel, I'm just going to be obedient to what's in my heart. I just say, I, I just say HIV AIDS is healed in Jesus' name. You are healed now in Jesus' mighty name. And it's taken away from you forever in Jesus' name. And God gives you back your life. For that was the fruit of the law. You are not a lawman anymore. You are, not, you are exempt now from the fruit of that law. You are set free now. You're not obligated to carry it anymore. For you are a faith man. You're a righteous person in Jesus' name. And all this because of the doing of Christ in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much. Man, I've enjoyed the service. Glory to God.